Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, you've reached the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast, and it's just me this week. And this week I'm joined by Scott Pianowski, and we are talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers' scary running back situation. Kyle Allen will start in Carolina for at least one more week. Dalton and Flacco benched, sort of. Some running backs that you need to stash in the second half of the season. Why you should care about strength of schedule right now. We preview Chicago at Philadelphia and Houston, quote-unquote, at Jacksonville. And we finish up with some daily fantasy bargains and fades. Hurry up and listen. Bye. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast, where the bus is being driven by me. Liz Loza is gone. Not forever. She'll be back on Sunday. I don't even know. Uh, she's at, Where the hell is she? Yeah, she's, I don't know. So we're like, she's like making candy corn cocktails on her Instagram. I don't know what the hell is going on with Liz these days, but she's not here. Point being. Apparently, Halloween is just a national holiday where you just don't get to go into work. Yeah, well, my ass is here at work. Uh, it is 10 a.m. on the West Coast. You don't care about that, but I've got my protein shake from a thoroughly mediocre workout. I've got a coffee over here. I've got water. But most importantly, I've got on the other end of the line, Scott Pianowski. Scott, how the hell are you? Doing great. Doing great. Yeah, I think it's very suspicious that Liz is taking her bye week the same week as the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there hmm. might be some link here. Maybe she's going to get uh, the offensive coordinator gig for the second half of the year. Maybe even a few reps at quarterback. So I'm going to try to stand in. You know, the, the Bengals are prepared to trudge on without Andy Dalton. We'll have to try to get through without Liz today. And uh, with the Bengals in mind, that's the high standard I'm going to aspire to. Scott, don't you think we like I, I thought about this this week because, look, it's week nine. I'll admit it. I'm a little worn out from the content churn so far this season you know the players every team gets a bye week don't you think we as writers and analysts shouldn't we get a bye week <laughs> yeah but i'll just get everything wrong in, in week 10 or something like that yeah it's interesting <laughs> we'll um, just mail just mail in one week and like who cares well there was one week where i was back visiting a uh, family a friend of mine had his uh, 50th birthday party shout out to my friend steve gleason and I had Dalton, our uh, Dalton, our colleague, sub for me on the question and answer Twitter thing that I do on Sundays. And, yes. and that day I actually played golf with my little brother. I mean, that, that was my favorite day of the year. I guess that was my unofficial bye week. I, 
I still watched football that day and wrote content and, and all that. But just to be free from that, to be, you know, sitting over a seven iron rather than who do I start among these eight flex guys? Yeah, you know, I, I, I love, love what we do. We're lucky to be in these chairs and I, and I don't take that lightly, but nothing wrong with having one week off to maybe do something else. I love it. Well, I'm not getting my bye week until week 17, but I can already taste the mimosas at the brunch I will certainly mm. be at during those Sunday games. But for now, Scott, we trudge on with week nine content. You know, the trade deadline kind of a dud so we're really not gonna, you you people out there definitely don't need a Kenyon drake hot take he's already probably played by the time you're listening to this so you don't care we're gonna move on to some more moderately pressing topics before we get into a wider view discussion about how to win your league in the second half of the season but let's start off with this scott the pittsburgh running backs brett just wrote on the outline woof and I think I can agree. The current depth chart, James Conner at the top, questionable with the shoulder. Jalen Samuels, questionable with a knee scope. Benny Snell, questionable with a knee. And then Trey, don't call me Chase Edmonds. What What are we doing with this situation right now? I mean, unfortunately, we have to chase after it because we know this is the team that wants to commit to the run. And there's a lot of talent and a lot of continuity in this offensive line. I mean, we've seen so many teams get tripped up by bad offensive lines. They can't run the ball. They can't commit to it. The Steelers are a team that actually can do that. So we care about who their feature back is, if there's even a guy. I don't have any Samuels. I wish I did. Once he was hurt for a few weeks, I just wasn't in a position to hold him. I had some Snell shares that I'm throwing in the garbage now because he's going to be out multiple weeks. Oh, look, I don't hold an injury against any player. It's just football. That's what happens. It would really be good for my personal interest if Connor plays this week, but I, it's just hard to know right now until we see the Friday practice. The bottom line is, though, look, Pittsburgh's got a backup quarterback, and right now, it feels like half the league is ham and egging it at quarterback for whatever reason. They're, they're not using the quarterback they want to be using. So we can't – normally you, you'd see a situation like this maybe just steer away from it. But then we'd be steering away from like 15 football teams. We can't do that. And we have four teams who don't play this week just to make it a little bit more complicated. So I feel like there's probably some kind of right answer here, be it this week or going forward. But that's going to depend on health. It's going to depend on things that are unknowable. But I do think we have to at least try to analyze it, We whether it's Connor getting healthy, whether it's Samuels being ready to take on an expanded role. He's an interesting player because, you know, what he had a couple of different positions he played in college. We've never really seen him be featured. So I guess I'm curious to see if he could pop. But I feel like there's something good to be mined here. I'm just not really sure where we should be putting our chips. Yeah, the Snell injury is a bummer, not just because uh, my co-host Liz Loza finally convinced me that I needed to pick him up uh, with a pretty decent uh, fob bid in one of my leagues. But in general, you know, he looked pretty good against the Chargers, albeit it is the Chargers. Um, But also, we're going to talk about this a lot on the um, on this show today, Scott, is just strength of schedule. And I think the, the Steelers have a pretty decent run of defenses here. They get the Colts this week. The Rams have some issues stopping the run. They gave Joe Mixon their best game in about 100 years last week. Um, the Browns are kind of middle of the road. Bengals, obviously very juicy. Then Browns again, Cardinals, Bills, and Jets in Week 16. So Connor, luckily, though, I think, my take on this is is that we kind of got off pretty easy with his injury because it looked like it could have been maybe some sort of collarbone or something like that. But I guess mm-hmm. it's just an AC joint. So I, I think, by and large, we should be good with him going forward. Yeah, when I saw him walk off the field, I thought, man, his season could be over. Yeah, me When too. they were whispering. When you hear collarbone, you're just afraid, okay. And it's funny because it was really an innocuous play. They were just trying to run the clock out. He wasn't trying to be a hero or anything. It's just a... It's just odd how plays that don't look really threatening in real time can actually be impactful. But in this case, maybe it wasn't. And you mentioned strength of schedule. And, you know, as we talk about what how does our fantasy strategy and our approach and things that matter to us, how how do those things shift during the season? 
I don't really care about strength of schedule, playoff strength of schedule in the summer. I think it's too far away and too much changes. The NFL is a reshuffle league. It's a snow globe league. Every week and year is weird in its own way. But I feel like now that we have enough data and enough film and enough just things that have happened, enough iterations, enough data sample, we could start saying with a f- more confidence, what does a good playoff schedule look like? What teams are getting opponents that you can attack in week 14, week 15, week 16, or even week 13, which to a lot of people might be a playoff game, a play-in game in a lot of leagues. So that almost becomes a de facto playoff week. I'm willing to look ahead towards those things. Two things change for me. There's two really different approaches I take this time of the year. One is I care about looking ahead in the schedule and looking ahead to the playoff schedule like I didn't care in the summer. And also, I am so much more proactive towards handcuffing. I don't like to do it in the summer. I want to play for a big inning. I want to play for as many home runs as I can. And I I don't want to limit myself by having multiple guys on the same team. There are always going to be exceptions. It's always going to be contextual. I get it. But now I'm really – when I saw Alexander Madison, uh, his ownership, James Coe, our colleague, wrote about this. I think Madison was 27%. I'm like, man, that should be like triple that. He should be owned in everything but the most shallow of leagues because if Cook has any kind of a misstep, Madison could be one of those – you know, the the golden ticket. He could be one of those league-winning guys. And there's four or five players – I think specifically, you know, maybe you Gus Edwards has been dead to you or irrelevant to you all season. I'm open-minded to him now. Maybe you have to play the handcuff game in Jacksonville if Fournette were to go down. He's been very unlucky with touchdowns. I want Leonard Fournette, but if he goes down, maybe there's a league winner in Jacksonville. There's a few situations now where I'm going to proactively play the handcuff game where I wouldn't have done it in the summer. I totally agree with you, and we're going to come back and expand on that a, a little bit more uh, once we blow through the rest of these little dumb news items. <laughs> uh, speaking of dumb news items, Kyle Allen is going to start this week at home against Tennessee. Now, the NFL did flex Green Bay to Carolina to the late afternoon start next week. I think they're anticipating maybe Cam Newton returns in Week 10, but I, as I said on last week's episode, I think that's a, a good sign that the NFL is making that bet, but I don't think anyone knows still at this point when Cam is coming back. And he he got in limited practice last week and then didn't practice this week, so at least up until uh, Wednesday. So that's not necessarily a great sign. I really just think we have no idea when this is going to happen. But I'll ask you, Kyle Allen, obviously, I think you got to be a little bit spooked based on what we saw last week um, against the 49ers. However, t- and Tennessee and Green Bay both have very ferocious pass rushes it well as well so how are you uh viewing this carolina offense these next couple of weeks man it's frustrating i've been wrong on this team for most of the season i think they're struggling because they they lost you as a fan matt i mean you were an unabashed carolina panthers <laughs> fan you, you went the free agent route I, I i guess you're a long you know a diehard san francisco fan as of like three months ago lifelong so con- 49ers fan is the right right the lifelong 49ers yes. fan. so congratulations you have timed that perfectly you're like in the action film the guy jumping from one building to another building or let me tell you, one let me, moving train let me tell you what scott i was bear i was bears last year I was Rams the year before that. We're start. We don't talk about Jacksonville in 2016. That was a weird year for everybody. Um, but you were hey, early. You were a year earlier to that one, right? Because they popped the next season. Exactly a year early. But so I mean, basically, let's discuss this first before we get back to the Panthers. Do I have the magic touch as a fan? And also, also, should fans not be courting me like left and right to be a fan for their team next year? No, I, th- I think you're like, you're going to get Garrett Cole money, you know, out on the, you put this out on the open market and let the market decide, let the buyers decide, let the people with, let the money go where it is. People need, you obviously have untapped 
some soothsayer thing. You have something going. I don't know if it's a magic eight ball. I, I don't know what exactly you're doing, but you've tapped into something. You know, maybe you're Christopher Walken in the dead zone. By the way, if you want to watch something scary, to me, things are more scary when they're real. I, I don't need supernatural things to scare me. I'm more scared when something looks like, wow, that could really happen. I'm not really a horror guy. I'm not really a Stephen King guy, but go back and watch The Dead Zone and look at Christopher Walken's performance in that movie and Martin Sheen's performance in that movie, and you'll be like, oh my God, that's so relevant today, and it scares the living pants off me. But back to the Panthers. I thought Cam Newton was actually a really good value this summer because the price kept dropping, and I thought, you know, even if Cam isn't a great downfield passer, I like the people he's throwing to, and he's always got that rushing backboard. I think I underestimated just how hurt his shoulder was at the time and maybe the attrition of eight seasons, getting the tar kicked out of him, all the running he does. And, you know, Cam takes on guys. Cam doesn't slide and run out of bounds. Cam runs at you. And now I feel like I got that wrong. And then when Kyle Allen came in, I thought, well, at least it's a healthy quarterback. You know, I don't maybe have to flush my Samuel or flush my DJ more. Maybe the fact that Cam was hurt, you know, get him right, get him on the sidelines. Allen did have the four touchdown game to lift off. But since then, a whole heck heck of nothing. I mean, I, I can't hold it against the Panthers for doing nothing against the Niners because they're so good, but I'm taking a loss on Moore. I'm taking a loss on Samuel. I feel like I've mistimed this Carolina quarterback situation all season. And you know, Matt, a lot of times when you get quarterback wrong, it's not a big deal because there's just so many to pick from. You just go back into the pile and you get a right answer. This year, where we've seen much more quarterback attrition and, and so many teams with wrong answers or dead ends at quarterback, it's not like it used to be where it's like, oh, you need a good quarterback? Well, here, here's like quarterback 15 on the on the waiver wire. Go pick him up. Yeah. I feel like this year, if you get quarterback wrong once or twice, you actually pay more of a price than you might have in previous seasons. Well, and the problem is, too, the quarterback dictates everything else for the rest of the yes. offense. So it all it all flows downstream. If the quarterback well is poisoned, that poison goes downstream to all the other players, right? So, for example, if your well is poisoned and then you've got Nick Foles out of the lineup, but Gardner Minshew comes in, and I think if, if Nick Foles gave the Jaguars what Gardner Minshew is giving them now, they'd be thrilled with that signing, right? Sure. But it, and then you look at like a Kyle Allen, He's just changed the expectations for the offense on a week-to-week basis. Like, these guys like Samuel, these guys like Moore, they've had their moments, but they're not popping every single week because the quarterback is not a transformative figure. You know, a a former MVP and a guy who had his most efficient season just this time last year. So I, I, I agree with you. We've had so much turnover at the quarterback position, and it's it's affected. It it affects everybody, and and it will continue to in these other situations that have that happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the link, common link to the entire offense. So I ask you, you, know, you being the reception perception guy and, and you obviously being close to Carolina, at least in your previous life, what do you tell a struggling, uh, depressed more or Samuel owner? Do you say, hey, it's going to get better. Eventually they'll get Cam back or more like, eh, you know, what you've seen is what you see is what you get. I think you're in the same position that the Panthers are in, right? Like my, I wrote, this will be the what is this the 45th time I've referenced this according to Liz Loza. I wrote a column about this. Uh, we were up to 44 yeah. at the end of last episode, so I'm at 45. Thank you, uh, 45 about this column that I wrote last week for about the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton specifically for the NFL side of the website. And I, my point there was they have to turn the reins back to Cam Newton. Like no matter this was before the 49ers game, you know, no matter what happens over the next few weeks because. You have to see what happens. You have to see what Cam Newton can give you in this offense that you finally got right for him. And I think same way, if you can hold on, and it's not because, again, this is a, this is like you're holding on to 
an unknown and an unknown timeline as to when Cam's going to get back. But if you can hold on, I think you you owe it to yourself, just like the Panthers owe it to themselves, to see what all of these weapons look like with Cam Newton. So if you can hold on, I'd, I'd try to hold on to guys like Samuel and DJ Moore. And hell, Moore this week, you know, Samuel's been on the injury report. I think Moore makes for a pretty solid floor play this week, especially considering all of the teams that are on bye this week. The Titans are pretty middle of the road in terms of defending wide receivers, but they do have a great pass rush, a lot of confusing coverages in the secondary. I think that could force the ball out of Kyle Allen's hand quickly, and Moore is obviously the preferred target on those routes as opposed to Samuel. Full season, do you, do you like one receiver more than the other? You mean like, what, what, what do you mean, between the two of them? If I had a choice of one of them for the balance of the season, do you lean towards one guy or the other? I think it's still, I mean, no one's going to be surprised I'm going to say this, but I think it's Samuel because I, one, I think he's the better talent. Two, I think if we're talking again, we're, we're focusing on the rest of your season. If you're in contention, you're trying to make the playoffs, you should be focused with ceiling and not floor. I still think at their ceilings, if one of them is going to be a wide receiver that changes your fantasy season. And for the most part, I think everybody knows who their wide receivers are this year. It's not like running back where you're turning guys over week after week. I think if one of them is going to be that player, it's going to be Curtis Samuel. And I'll bring it to the analogy that I had between these two guys in the summer. I think one of them is Adam Thielen. I think the other one is Stefan Diggs. And we've seen with Stefan Diggs, who is the Curtis Samuel in this version, that like when he gets hot and he gets right based on the role that he has, and that if the quarterback is playing well, that can be a, a lineup tilter, whereas it, that hasn't been the case necessarily with Adam Thielen so far this year. You'll have to negotiate the Week 12 game in New Orleans, but they still have two Atlanta games in play. Week 11, they host Atlanta, and Week 14, they go to Atlanta. And I think we know, I mean, look, football changes yeah. and things are, you know, things are never static, but the Falcons are not going to fix their defense this year. That's off the table. So uh, let's have hopefully have some fun with an effective quarterback and uh, a fun Carolina passing game, at least when they play the Falcons. Now, you're talking sometimes fantasy football is simple just play guys against the falcons but uh let's move on uh from there and we'll talk about oh another a sad a sad situation same guy from the 2011 class with cam newton right or was he the same draft class? yeah same draft class as cam newton right andy dalton benched this week on his birthday scott what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you on your birthday and is it any worse than um getting benched and losing a job you've had for almost a decade yeah, I think I got I think I got in a fight on a basketball court on my 16th birthday. And unfortunately, I, I when I say got in a fight, I think I got hit by somebody. <laughs> I'm not sure that I hit him back. It was a pretty one-sided fight. Well, damn. So, um yeah, you, you make too many shots, Matt. They have to come at you hard. What can I say? I I hear you, man. They've got to find a way to take you they, you're basically, you know, you're Shaq. You just 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 foul him. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, Cam Newton, you know, I mean, the Shaq syndrome where the big guy on the court or the badass on the court. Can I say badass on this podcast? Yo, you can say much worse than badass on this podcast. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. Um, But I generally my birthday is a happy day. Um, You know, I I, I keep waiting for Justin Timberlake and Nolan Ryan to call me on my birthday. That never happens. But fingers um, crossed. You know, Dalton, your red hair. Bengals are 0-8. It's amazing that Dalton stat, right, that he was 8-0 in 2015. Yeah. To think that they would crash this hard. They almost might even squint. They might even miss Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. (laughs) It's a shame to see Dalton losing the gig only because I just – I'm afraid that this is going to unplug Boyd and unplug 
Erickson and unplug AJ Green and, and mm-hmm. unplug Tate. I mean, I had some interest in all those guys. I mean, maybe that they're a half slot lower than they would be with a good quarterback, but at least Dalton wasn't a total, total train wreck. And I'm just afraid now that they, they might just be look up. I think they're the worst team in football right now. I think you might be right. And here's the thing Andy Dalton. Leaving this gig for the Bengals is going to tell us something. And we'll talk, and the same thing with, with the guy we're going to talk about in the next little chat we're going to have. Here's the deal, fantasy football people. It can always get worse. We think it can't get worse. It can definitely, definitely get worse in Andy Dalton. Cause you mentioned that eight no start that he had in uh, 2015 or whatever. He, I feel like he's the same player. You know, I feel like he's the exact same guy. He's been the exact same guy throughout his career. But the problem is the situation is just so god awful right now and that brings us to ryan finley who i know they want to evaluate they want to get a look at my buddy dj daniel jeremiah from the nfl network he compares him to like basically a poor man's jared goff which ah, jared goff obviously a good quarterback but we've seen him start to struggle in a situation that is not up to its previous caliber in 2017 and 2018 well, let me tell you what, the, the Bengals of 2019 are well off even just what the Rams are in 2019. And if Jared Goff is struggling in that situation, I hardly think Ryan Finley, a day three draft pick as a rookie, is going to be doing much better. I, mean, I get why they're doing it now because you get the bye week, so you, you get the extra time to get your guy ready to play. But I, I really wish they could have held off until December. Um, I, I, I agree. Bad teams have to reevaluate talent. You know, I, I think at some point, as much as I don't want Josh Rosen to play, unless Miami has made their decision <laughs> on him, I think they need to really go back to Rosen. I, I don't think Haskins is ready in Washington, but at some point you got to throw him in the pool and just see what happens. So it seems like maybe Cincinnati's doing this earlier than I would like, or maybe a lot of teams would choose to make this move. But you, you understand, bad teams eventually have to evaluate their talent, and that's what Cincinnati's chosen to do. Scott, I'm going to give you a piece of life advice um, mm-hmm. here. Don't just forget where Josh Rosen was drafted. Just view him as any other clown quarterback in the league, and it's much freeing to it's much more freeing to your mental health. I know you're not even a Rosen guy, but like the Dolphins have told us what they think about Rosen. Like he's not the guy. Period. They don't need to get another look at him. It does. It doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. Nothing matters in terms of the Josh Rosen experience. It's a much more freeing uh, experience when you do this because then all the people who still believe in Josh Rosen, you can look at them and kind of just like with a little stroke of pity in you. Does that make sense? I mean, can Rosen go back to UCLA? Can he go back to tennis? I mean, people change sports. You know, Rick Gangiel <laughs> didn't make it as a pitcher. He went to a being a position player. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something out there for Rosen that isn't NFL quarterback. Yeah, well, I'm whatever offshoot. Maybe he's a he's a great thinker. He's a great mind, right? So maybe all the offshoot like former Deadspin writers can all go start a website, and Josh Rosen can be a part of that. Sorry, Josh Rosen, you're getting banged at a big spot here, but it is what it is. Um, let's move on to another. It can get worse situation. Joe Flacco, benched for at least this week, probably for the long term. I think he's I think he's going to end up on IR. Brandon Allen, who I honestly don't know. You can give me your advanced scouting report on Brandon Allen, uh, Scott. I don't know a damn thing about him, but he gets the start. What the hell? What? <laughs> I know we don't care that much about the Denver offense, but guys like Cortland Sutton, these two running backs who have at least gotten pretty steady workloads. What are we doing with them now that Brandon Allen is in the picture? Yeah, I, I was I was hoping you were going to give me a lot on Brandon Allen. All I know Please. is he played uh, what two and a half or almost three seasons at Arkansas as their starter and, and had okay numbers. I might have seen ten snaps of his entire college career, so it, it's hard for me to say. And, and that was a while ago. I mean, he 2015. So this is four years later. You know, I still think 
the Broncos are a good pick this week because I can't favor Cleveland on the road. So I, I'm going to take oh. Denver plus three. Um, they have some continuity in their offense. I do like Sutton. I do think Lindsey and Freeman are decent players. I think it's going to be a game. I wouldn't mind if this game were blacked out. I don't need to watch any of this game. I think it's <laughs> going to be like a 16-10 type of game. Who'd have thought right now, what is it, Beckham and Landry collectively have one touchdown? I mean, I'm just so out, out on the Browns. I'm Brutal. so out on Kitchens. That's not a hot take because who, who's in on those guys right now? But there are certain games where you just say to yourself, I don't need to watch that game. I don't need to analyze that game. I don't need to do, have a deep thought on that game. And I think this is one of those. First team to 16 wins, I'm saying it's going to be the Broncos. Sutton, unfortunately, you take them. I mean, look, missing Joe Flacco, I, I don't know. Maybe getting rid of Flacco will be a good thing. I mean, he's played so poorly. Sutton's still startable, especially during bye week season. He's probably in my low 20s at receiver. I love the player. I just wish he had a quality quarterback. The running backs are playable. But this is going to be a game that no team is going to score 20 points. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think we need to spend too much energy talking about the Denver Bronco or the Joe, Joe Flacco less Denver Broncos. We'll probably see Drew Locke at some point. Maybe. I don't know if they can really get away with not playing him in 2019. But we'll see what happens. I want to move into two kind of grand view topics about the second half of the season but i want to use our bold predictions our group bold predictions piece as a jumping off point scott um it's up on yahoo.com slash fantasy whatever uh, if you want to check it out bold predictions for the second half of the season scott you wrote about mark walton you say mark walton joins the circle of trust and i think this gives us a good launching off point to what you were talking about earlier with guys like alexander madison look like madison's a good player he's in a good offense whatever but i think keeping an open mind to these running backs is really crucial as we enter the second half of the season yeah, I mean, Walton has one of the most important things any fantasy player can have. He has a projectable floor right now. I mean, mm. He's had 29 touches the last two weeks. Drake's out of the picture. At least Fitzpatrick makes the offense a little bit more professional with Rosen out. So you can look at Miami this week against the Jets. You could imagine them maybe scoring 20 points, you know, something like that. And Walton, again, the floor for touches is very sturdy right now. And there aren't that many guys. You can say that about, I know this guy's going to get double digit touches. I feel like Walton's in that basket. He's not a zero in the passing game. So yeah, you sure. I'd love to have my running back linked to a high flying offense. There's just so many guys like that. They're not freely available. Nobody's handing you those guys. You can get them in trade. You have to trade a lot to get them. I think he's going to be handy as we navigate the rest of the bye weeks. And if Fitzpatrick's still playing, maybe he's somebody that we use for the balance of the season. Again, it's all about projectable volume for Walton and his efficiency is okay. Does it matter that He's somebody who's hardly, but this is the thing with fantasy too. It doesn't matter that guys come out of nowhere, undrafted play. Doug Baldwin wasn't drafted. Um, nobody knew who Adam Thielen was. I mean, it's not that those stories are common, but they're possible. And we have to be open-minded to them. The fact that Mark Walton was on nobody's draft list before the season doesn't matter now. And especially at running back. I mean, we see guys pop out and just, be, end up being really strong fantasy plays, even if, frankly, they're not even that good. You know, like right. like C.J. Anderson, I think, is a good player, but like he popped up out of nowhere a couple of times and ended up being a really good fantasy asset to close the season. And then I half expected to see him in Pittsburgh this week getting a workout or something. You know, you, you can't really kill C.J. Anderson. He'll be you back. You can wound him, yeah. but you can't really knock him out for good. And also, I talked about earlier, maybe jumping the gun a little bit, about playoff schedule. Miami, yeah. you know, they get the the Jets, uh, the Giants, and the Bengals in the money weeks, and that Patriot rematch is tucked away in the Week 17 safe space, so you don't got to worry about that. So <laughs> at least, at least, look, even if you're, right now, some people are probably laughing, like, I've never played Mark Walton. At least just put him on your bench. Keep him away from your opponents. Uh, number one, I love the Week 17 safe space. Like, get yourself a safe space. It's in Week 17, baby. Um, but I also, I mean, I love the idea of Mark Walton because, 
it, it's it's like you said. Normally, we want to associate our running backs with good offenses, but like you said, those are tough to find. And number two, like he gives you that floor, especially because with Kenyon Drake out of town. And Kalen Balaj being a total dust ball. I think Walton's the only game in town. So you can get some double-digit touches and get yourself a nice floor. I, I like that. But let's talk about some of these other uh, backup running backs that might, quote-unquote, save your season or whatever, or be that handcuff. Like you said, I totally agree with you up at the top that this is the time to stash backup running backs, not in the beginning of draft season because we know a lot more now, number one. We also, it's much more like, you know, you're through the bye week gauntlet, most likely after this week. We've got some tough offenses on bye weeks. But, like, going forward, you're going to be out of the bye week gauntlet. You don't need Danny Amendola and these clowns clogging up your bench. You need some upside there. So maybe give us two of your favorite kind of stashes, and and I'll jump in as well with some guys. Well, for, first of all, Madison is is the the creme de la creme and, and, yeah. and obvious. I don't think we need to talk much about him. The setup could not be better. I'm interested in Gus Edwards in Baltimore. We know, I mean, it's a double-edged sword with Jackson. I mean, he frees up running lanes, but he's going to get some of that rushing production too. So you have to live with that. But if something were to happen to Mark Ingram, and you know, he's probably in the back nine of his career, there's an opening there. And then in Jacksonville, if something happens to Fournette, and he hasn't always been the most durable guy, uh, it looks like Paul Armstead is the number two. I don't know that they would make a change and maybe add somebody or turn it into a committee, but Armstead, last I checked, was like 1% or 2% owned in Yahoo. I mean, oh, yeah. if nothing else, again, don't want to handcuff in the summer. If you own Fournette, I think Armstead, you've gotten through the bye week season. As you said, for, forget about Amendola. You're not going to need him. Maybe you stash away in Armstead, whether it's because you, you see the upside or because you need to ensure your Fournette bet. I think now is the time to go get him. Yeah, Fournette's a perfect example because, like, coming out of training camp, we had no idea who the hell the number two back was there. You know, they had no definition, Alf- right? Yeah, they had Alfred Blue. They had uh, got this Armstead fella. You know, this was a, a situation where we did, we have much more clarity right now than we did during training camp. And and the reason I think he's like not owned at all is because he's, he's the Fournette role. Like he's not getting any work. Armstead, he's getting nothing going on behind Fournette. I'll bring up a couple of guys too. And these were actually popular picks during draft season, but have probably since been, you know, cut away. And this is the other this, this is the other pain in the ass about drafting handcuffs. Most likely you're gonna these are gonna be the first guys that you cut during right. like the heavy waiver wire run. Tony Pollard in Dallas. Pollard, I think, is still, if Zeke was to go down, this offense is still number one by DVOA. I think they're they are a really strong bet to hand the workload right over to Pollard, and I think we've seen that he can produce with, with some work too. So he's someone, and Daryl Henderson in uh, L.A., He's definitely going to be a little bit more owned than some of these other guys, but he's another one that if look, there's no I don't is there a bigger risk than than Todd Gurley for injury right now? And he's definitely someone that could take over that that backfield if if something happens to Gurley. And I st- I think he also more maybe more so than Madison even though I like Madison as a flex play this week or certainly Armstead or Pollard. Henderson can actually offer you some standalone value probably uh over the last few months of the season. Oh, those are nice calls. I I I think Gurley's gone from being month to month or game to game. He's almost like series to series now. For real. I I take no joy in saying that because, I mean, he was the most fun player in fantasy. He was the ultimate league winner, the ultimate queen on the chessboard when he was right. But right now he's the oldest 25-year-old in the NFL. And you you mentioned Henderson too. I mean, we saw last week all the rookie running backs kind of spreading their wings. They finally committed to Montgomery and, you know, Brad Evans got naked and rolled in the sand and all that. And um, Singletary made a splashy play and Sanders looked good in his – 
action. And, and now, look, these rookies now have been around a football team for a few months. I mean, it's almost like they're like r- rookie plus. You know, they're they're not totally green guys. They know the playbook. And running back, of course, there isn't that much to learn. You don't run that many plays. The other positions are much more complicated. But some of these guys are just more willing to be open-minded towards what a rookie player might produce in the second half of the season now that their feet are a little bit wet. I completely agree. And I'll say this about Todd Gurley. I've talked to a lot of players uh, at this job and my previous job too. There are a few players that after, and I've talked to uh, Todd a couple of times, there are a few players that I've come away from interacting and, and being like, man, I wish more guys were like that in the league. He's tremendous. He's tremendous, really engaging, interesting, and a little, and just, just the right touch of weird. And I'll, uh, <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. So one other guy I do want to mention, we're talking about all these great high-end running backs. Don't forget about old Reggie Bonafan in uh, – or bon- I think it's Bonafan, but I'm, I'm being a little facetious here. Reggie Bonafan down there in Carolina behind Christian McCaffrey. We saw when Reggie had to come in for like the one series that McCaffrey missed, I think it was the end of the Jacksonville game, actually ran pretty well. That backup depth chart is complete dust. I think Reggie Bonafan basically won the number two job coming out of training camp. And if anything happens to McCaffrey, and look, I'm I'm constantly running victory laps around Liz all day long because Christian McCaffrey has not gotten hurt yet, and she that is like her constant prediction. Is that McCaffrey is like seconds away from being hurt? But give me a break. But if anything does happen to him, and and I stumble in that victory lap, I think Reggie goes into a, a nice role there. Right. And, you know, Norv Turner's unlocked the maximum amount of value from McCaffrey. And, and so maybe an understudy, if, if he got in that featured role, could be something you, look, you would never obviously spec full McCaffrey. But I agree with you that there's an underrated handcuff that doesn't always get the love. Let me ask you one other backfield question. This isn't really a handcuff question, but we always want to invest in winning teams and good offenses. And, and what looked better before the season than an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes offense, right? Mahomes gets hurt. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. But I've been trying to figure out which running back I want in Kansas City. And at times I've been like, maybe I don't want any of these guys. There's four different players. There's two players with the same last name for crying out loud. But LaShawn McCoy landed there. Darwin Thompson can hardly get on the field. Do you think it's likely that any of these guys, we look back and we say, oh, man, yeah, I saw it all coming. It was going to happen for Damian Williams. You know, McCoy was fumbling. Williams really wasn't playing that better. Oh, yeah, of course, Darrell Williams was going to get a chance. Or, oh, yeah, of course, Darwin Thompson eventually the, the spinner would spin on him. Do you think there's a right answer in the Kansas City backfield? If there is, man, I don't know it. You know, it's there's no signal coming out of there, right? Like <laughs> McCoy has gotten some early down work, has started to fumble again. I think he looks just like whatever. Then we've got, like you mentioned, Damian Williams is getting like passing game work and actually had like some okay runs last week. They still, according to our colleague Therese Paler, they still like Darwin Thompson an awful lot. So we could maybe see him eventually. Like that's the thing. Darwin Thompson would be the perfect example of what we're talking about here. And let me say this as someone that drafted Darwin Thompson everywhere, (laughs) he would be the perfect example of a guy that like you don't take him in draft season. You find him at the end of the year when all of the chuckleheads like me who blew ninth to 10th round picks are going to be just (laughs) puking themselves when in week 15, 16, he's winning fantasy titles. So I agree with you. There's a right answer here, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I'm getting more sure that it isn't McCoy. I think at some point oh, they yeah. have to back out of the fumbling. They just And he got doghoused last week when he fumbled. They basically said, okay, go sit over there. You're not playing anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. So one thing we just want to update real quick uh, because we talked about this earlier. Adam Schefter just tweeted out, after a second opinion on the bulging uh, disc in his neck, 
Broncos quarterback Joe Flacco is now expected to be sidelined four to six weeks. So there you go. We've it's Brandon Allen and probably eventually Drew Locke time. How I'm not I'm not mean spirited about this, but I'm just going to say it. Nobody will miss Joe Flacco. Just like when Mariota was benched, it's like, look, I know Tannehill's nothing great, but yeah, nobody yeah. Will, nobody misses Marcus Mariota. Nobody's like, oh my god, I I want to wear my Mariota shirt. I want to watch. You know, nobody will miss Joe Flacco. I don't know if producer Brett has the Flacco Broncos jersey oh, no. if he made the plunge. <laughs> But, um, I, ironically, but uh, no, I mean, Denver, Den- Bronco Nation was not super happy about Flacco coming in there, considering he, he killed us with that uh, Jacoby, Jacoby Jones, Jacoby Jones uh, in 2013, 2012, 2013. Like, we thought that was a Super Bowl year for sure. And so him coming in there the, as at the, the time, the gun. best playoff run of all time. Right. And then he goes and beats yep. the Patriots. The Patriots left a ton of points on the field in the first half. It's kind of like the Astros last night. And then they just couldn't cash in, and the second half was all Ravens. And so Joe Flacco, you just having one of those like you know, magical runs. He for a month he couldn't do anything wrong, and yeah, I, I can still remember where I was. There aren't that many games that I would say with the NFL. Okay, I remember exactly where I was when that happened. I remember exactly where I was when the Ravens stole that game from the Broncos. Just say, oh my god, he caught that. Yeah, Me wow. Too. Can the defensive back play play that any worse? Two two things on this situation. Number one. Scott, no one, ha- nothing nice has ever followed the words. I don't mean to be mean spirited about this, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but number two, I agree. Like, if this is it for Joe Flacco, and I think it most likely is in Denver for well, sure. Well, in Denver I mean, for sure, but I mean in the entire maybe if NFL, Miami doesn't get to uh maybe they'll they'll oh, sign them and geez, tank bro. again the next year. Um, like, oh my god, that's disgusting. Uh, but I I want to write a piece about this at some point, but I have a phenomenal, well, a tough story, but a good story about where I was during that uh, Denver Broncos uh, Baltimore Ravens game. And it involves being in Baltimore, but I will, at some point, I want to write a story about that. But trivia, uh, trivia. Let me ask you Joe Flacco trivia. Oh my God. What yes, is please. his highest end of season quarterback ranking in a Joe Flacco season? End of season. He was quarterback what? Oh, oh, in fantasy, like quarterback yes. wise? Yes. Uh, QB 19. <laughs> wow. Not, not quite that bad. He actually had uh, an 11 in 2010, a 13 huh. in 2014. So he was inside that. If you imagine QB 12 as the start line, he was inside that start line once in the 2010 season. This also goes to show you how the quarterback position has changed in fantasy that a like pretty much immobile guy like Joe Flacco could end up that far. Um, but let's let's quickly hit uh, the second talking point I wanted to have about our bold predictions piece, which was my section, uh, which was I think the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, Scott Pianowski, are going to win some people fantasy titles this year because John Gruden, I do not think has been given enough credit for a really good job with coaching up this Raiders offense. And I was saying this, you know, to pat myself on the back here, I won't throw out my shoulder, but I'll pack, pat myself on the back a little bit here. I said this after charting Amari Cooper for reception perception last year when he was in Oakland, I thought it was really encouraging how they were the first team, not Dallas, were the first team to figure out what you do with Amari Cooper is you put him at flanker, you move him all around the formation, and it didn't work out production-wise in Oakland, but it, that was the plan that then Dallas put in place, and it really unlocked Amari Cooper. So I thought that was a really good sign for for John Gruden and his prospects as like evolving into the modern NFL. And this offense is pretty good. And they're also, Scott, this is one of your things in terms of like we know where the ball's going, the, the, the short usage tree. We know that this passing attack is basically Williams and Waller and that Josh Jacobs is the workhorse in this backfield. 
All those guys are good. Tyrell Williams has been a weak tilter when he's played. He's scored in every single contest that he's taken the field. Waller is a top five tight end with a catch rate of nearly 80%. Jacobs is a true bell cow back, 13th in the NFL in touches, 12th in yards from scrimmage, and he's already had his bye week, by the way. And this all intersects back at Derek Carr, who behind an offensive line that's playing better than we've expected, it, it, I think could be a really nice streamer the rest of the way because we'll talk about strength of schedule here. They get the Lions this week, the Chargers twice, once in week 16. They allow the highest completion percentage in the NFL, the Bengals, Jets, and Chiefs. I think they're going to be uh, winning you some fake football championships this year. Totally agree. And I'm taking a loss on this one. I mean, I, other than calling Antonio Brown a, a brick, and that was, I mean, that was so obvious. I don't even think anybody deserves credit for that. I thought Oakland was going to be bad. I thought they're going to be laughably bad, fantasy bad, over under bad. I, I saw nothing of value here, and you know the centralized usage is really good. You know, Waller every week, even when he doesn't really play that well, he's getting a bunch of targets. Williams is a difference maker. J- Jacobs has a very high floor for touches, and even Carr. I don't think he has a three hundred yard passing game on the season, but you can really count set your watch on that like two seventy and two that he seems to get. That's a lot more valuable this year than it might have been in previous years. And the defense has helped out, too. They've allowed 19 touchdown passes. They've only intercepted three passes, a rating of 115, uh, yards per attempt of 8.6. So they're getting scored on. They're creating that carnival environment that we like. I, I was, you know, Gruden likes to dis- establish who his guys are and feed them the ball and feed them the targets and touches. And there's a lot of fantasy value. And the great thing about all of these guys, Waller, Williams, Jacobs, none of them were trendy enough to be expensive. You could get them at your price. You could kind of let the market come to you and, and make profits on these guys. It wasn't, wasn't like you had to muscle the whole room to get Tyrell Williams. So there was a lot of value here. I got it wrong. I'm actually, as we speak, just about ready to hit uh, publish on a piece of things I was wrong about. And the, the Raiders were on that list. I you know, I only had nine. People are going to be like, oh, wow, you, you missed like 81 other things, Pianowski. But uh, <laughs> I, I had the best the, the best nine misses of the year, and the Raiders were on that list. And, and I agree with you. I think they're going to be fantasy difference makers down the stretch because John, John Gruden knows who his guys are, and he feeds them the ball. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense. Like, this, this team really is very highly concentrated. I mean, that's what we want from fantasy, right? But let's talk about the strength of schedule part of that because the Raiders right now – I'm looking at sharpfootballstats.com, strength of schedule for the rest of the season going forward. Uh, Defensive efficiency by opponents. The the Raiders have the 11th easiest schedule in terms of defensive efficiency. I'm going to read you off the top. I'll say the top seven here because I think the seventh team is very interesting and will bleed into my next talking point. But, you know, I'm really thinking ahead here. Scott, the, the number one team. In terms of easiest defensive opponents, the rest of the way is the goddamn New York Jets. The next is the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New England Patriots, Denver Broncos. Gross. Finally, the Patriots get an easy schedule. I'm happy for that. Uh, yeah, thank God. I mean, what a what a easy, easy defensive schedule. They'll be challenged on the other side of the ball, but I'm just glad that something has finally gone right for that team. You you love to see it. I say through gritted teeth. <laughs> Denver Broncos number five, Cleveland Browns number six. Philadelphia Eagles at number seven. What are we doing with this? The the Jets thing is really interesting, right? Because right now the Jets are 32nd in DVOA in terms of offense. 
They have been terrible this 30, year. Let me just check this. There's 32 teams in the league, right? Correct. There are 32 yeah, teams. Yeah, that would league. be dead last. We I, haven't, I just want to make sure they haven't added like Edmonton in the last month or something. No, yeah. and we haven't relegated the Dolphins yet because, frankly, the Jets are right there with them. Uh, so how do you feel about – I mean, how do you feel about that? Like are you still willing to trade for Le'Veon Bell even though the team doesn't really maybe want him around? Are you willing to you know acquire some of these Jets pieces or is pretty much it just it's so bad you're going to try to stay away? I think what you have to do with the Jets is throw out the New England game. Darnold can't possibly be that bad. And look, he took 8,000 sacks against the Jaguars last week. So it's not like they were that much better against Jacksonville. But he's not that bad. And eventually, I hope they'll get Herndon back. You get to think that they can unlock Anderson a little bit. There are good offensive players here. I think they can go back to just being another football team rather than being god-awful. The schedule's really nice. And in that bold predictions piece, I mean, our colleagues are, are stepping out on them. I mean, Andy Barron said Darnold's a top 12 guy, and, and Liz had some Le'Veon Bell uh, hitting there. So I've been, you know me, I hate injury optimism. I didn't think I was getting in on injury optimism with Herndon. I just thought it was a suspension, <laughs> but then he got hurt. So I've been holding Chris Herndon. I feel it feels like for three years. I'm just, I'm really sick of carrying him everywhere I go. But there it is. He's on, still on some of my rosters. I think they're going to be. They're going to play to the strength of like a six and ten or seven and nineteen the rest of the way. The Jets are mediocre. I don't think they're anywhere near this bad. I'm telling you, it's going to be thrilling when Ryan Griffin is still playing over Chris Herndon <laughs> when he's healthy. I'm just telling you that is the most Adam Gase of all time. Get ready to see it now. Tight end is so gross, isn't it? It is. And disgusting. I'm in leagues that want to use two tight ends. And I, at one point, who, I actually thought it was the, a good who idea. Who are these people? Why would know, you do people. that? Awful people, man. They're 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 scumbags. I'm sorry, but that's just that's that's villainy. Let's talk this number six team though, the Cleveland Browns. Scott, I know you said earlier you're all out on the Browns, but what if I told you they're the number one team in terms of easiest strength of schedule in terms of rushing defense, and number two in explosive pass plays allowed by defenses the rest of the way. The Browns obviously have a lot to get right. It's also not totally fun that eventually Kareem Hunt is going to come back and muck up this backfield. Like The only thing they've really got going for them is that Nick Chubb is good. Right. Hunt will find a way to screw that up. Are you willing to open up? Because I think the connective tissue between the Jets and the Browns is that they're so debilitatingly bad on the offensive line that it's that's been the trickle-down effect to the rest of the offense. Um, also, I, I think the coaching is there too but what, what are we what are we doing with the Browns? Is this Are you still full-on stay away from them? I don't trust Mayfield, and I really don't trust Kitchens. It, it's really difficult to evaluate coaching because we're not in the locker room. There's just things that we can never know. But there's something that Bill James calls signature significance, where you can have a small sample, but it can be so significant in in that one sample that you can draw a conclusion from it. And I think we see signature significance that shows us that Freddie Kitchens is so over his head. He's yeah. not over his head like drowning. He's already drowned. I mean, they've dragged him out of the pool yeah. and people are, are saying their condolences and all that. I'm sure he's a really nice guy and I hope he's successful in his next gig. Just please let it be very far away from a football team. So I, I'm still in on Chubb. I think the hunt fear, I didn't, we didn't mention him during the handcuffs. I, I think it's a little bit overblown. He hasn't played football in such a long time and, I'm not. I have Chubb, and I'm not viewing Hunt as a must-add on my Chubb team. If I can get him at my own price, get him for nothing, you know, I have a roster spot to fiddle around with. Fine. If somebody comes to me like, "Hey, I got Hunt. What are you willing to give me?" I'm like, "Nothing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pick him up after you drop him. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I love but, that. Yeah, uh, I'm out on the Browns. Out on Beckham. Out on Landry. Um, every once in a while, I squint and I see Ricky Seals Jones, and then I squint again. I don't see him. So I, I Mayfield, I think right now is is just as confident as his shot. He's with the wrong people coaching him. I don't think it's going to get much better. 
I think it gets better for Beckham because the volume is there. Twelfth among wide receivers and targets, sure. he has a pretty good share of the air yards. Um, I, it could easily be this offense is just too broken beyond repair. But I'm stupid enough to buy it. Oh, some Odell Beckham. But I want to use this next team to jump into this week's matchup. And that's the Philadelphia Eagles, who are number seven in terms of future defensive efficiency, strength of schedule. Um, and, Scott, the reason I want to watch the Eagles this week against the Chicago Bears, honestly, these two teams are not dissimilar in that I think they're both exploring new answers to old problems. Both of these teams have been really poor on offense. And I think for the Bears, it's it's easy to see why. They have a, they have a, a goofball back there at quarterback that can't play. But for the Eagles... I think that more and more we're starting to look at, you know, this team finding these new answers, like I said. And I think the new answers is more Dallas Goddard, who has scored in back-to-back games. Miles Sanders also coming off his best game of the season. I'm really intrigued with this offense going forward because I think they're going to ditch the multi-receiver sets because Aguilar, Matt Collins, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, these guys can't play right now. Alshon Jeffrey's not having that good of a year. Deshaun Jackson will be back, but I think it's foolish to, based on what we know, based on what we they should have known going into the season, but based on what we all know now, you can't really count on a 30-plus-year-old deep threat who gets hurt all the time to be the changing force in your offense. So, I think they evolve a little bit more, become a more rush-first attack with Howard, who's good, and Sanders, who's very good, behind a line that struggled in pass protection but is still run-blocking pretty well, and more two tight end sets with Goddard because he's a difference maker. He really is Goddard, and um, I, I think this is painfully obvious, but you know, in any kind of a keeper dynasty league, I'd want to have a lot of him. Remember, he was hurt to begin the season. He played through it, but he wasn't anywhere near 100%. Everybody in Philadelphia's camp said he was their best player by far. He was like the MVP or the breakout guy of camp. So as much as I love Zach Ertz, and I, I really hate to say anything negative about him, I mean, Goddard's too big to not be a factor here. As you said, the ancillary receivers have not done anything. Aguilar, forget him. Whiteside's been a disappointment. And right now, I mean, Jeffrey looks like he's 100 years old. I, I don't oh, say yeah. that with any joy, but he just he can't run right now. Jackson is is a difference maker the moment he gets back on the field. It doesn't even matter if they're throwing him the ball or not just because he tilts coverage, but a 33-year-old speed receiver, who's to say if that's something we can realistically expect? But Goddard, to me, is the, is the fulcrum of this offense. Not that he's the best player on it, but I think he can go to – he can you use him as a, basically a hybrid wide receiver. He's a matchup problem, and he gives easy to find throws to Carson Wentz. And we know what a great rapport he's always had with Ertz. So Goddard is the guy. I think he's seasonally playable. I think he's keepable league, targetable, or you know somebody who you're going to be keeping for a long time. And uh, I, I'm really excited to see him spread his wings in the second half of the year. And I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic about the Eagles going forward. He's like still twelve dollars in DFS this week. Um, I'm debating him with a few other tight ends. Uh, Why not? It's a gross position, man. It is so gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. And like, I think he's one of the, to steal one of your phrases, he's one of the right answers in terms of like tight ends the rest of the way. So yeah, I really like Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders too. I think he's, I don't think he's ever going to become like the RB one of this offense as as long as Howard is there because Howard's not bad like Howard's a good runner he deserves touches but I think both of these guys their stock can continue to rise because this is what good teams do they have to find how to hit and the Eagles have been very good at this in previous years when they take away your first punch you have to find you know how to hit with your left hand too so I think that's the way the Eagles have been very good at that they haven't been they have not found that this year, but I think more Sanders, more running game, and more Goddard is their answer. So I want to see if that continues against the Bears this week, who also, like I said, are kind of in that same position with I think 
is Montgomery going to become the more focal point of this offense? By the way, they've got a great matchup in the secondary, Allen Robinson, maybe even some sprinkling of some Anthony Miller, who's actually started to kind of play the last few weeks. But Scott, let's talk about your matchup that you want to highlight. You want to talk about the London game, Houston and Jacksonville. Uh, what's What's got your eye in this one? No, yeah, I want to make the West Coast wake up at six o'clock. Thanks a lot, bro. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate Enjoy it. it. Jacksonville, the Kings, the Kings of London. I want to see. Let me be clear. If, Let me be clear about something, Scott. I'm up yeah. at six o'clock on the West Coast on football Sunday. I'm up. Yeah, you're doing push-ups, right? I mean, yeah, you're you're up. I'm up. Well, no, I'm not up doing push-ups. I'm up because I got to be on a freaking show. So we'll see. Well, what show is that? Are you do you cover soccer or something? It's hard to say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what to call it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm excited to see if Minshew can mark his territory because Foles might be ready after the bye. Remember, teams go to London; they take their bye week after, so. It's the last chance for Minshew to audition and say, hey, I'm the future quarterback here. You can't bench me. I want to see if the touchdown unluckiness for Fournette continues. I want to see if Conley can spread his wings. Maybe Westbrook doesn't play. He's got a couple of things wrong with him right now. Conley had a big splash play last week. Remember, he he was a guy who every once in a while would make a big play for the Chiefs, and then five or six weeks would go by, we'd hear from Conley again. He's always had ability, and he's got size. He's got speed. There are pieces in this offense that interest me. And look, Deshaun Watson, I mean, you don't, everybody knows how great he is. I mean, eventually Hopkins is going to come around. I give Stills a pass for last week. He's a little bit of a boom bust at a position that's largely boom bust, but I would still be rolling out Stills. And Darren Fells, look, 33-year-old journeyman. It took me a while to actually realize that he wasn't the same player as his brother. He's tight end six in standard. Tight end six. You have to play Fells. I know it's gross. I know tight end is a lousy position, but this guy has the eye of Deshaun Watson, especially when he's been kicked in the eye. It's been proven. When Deshaun <laughs> Watson's kicked in the eye, he locks in on Fells. So you got to keep playing this guy. He's Right now, if there's a touchdown scored for the Texans and it's not Hopkins, Fells is the most likely guy to be stepping in and getting that touchdown. Puke. Uh, but you're not, you're not wrong. Fair. Puke. I'm interested in this matchup. Like, Houston... Obviously, we know J.J. Watt is down for the count. Houston has traded one Achilles heel for the other, Scott. They've pretty much fixed their offensive line to being just about league average, which is really all you can ask for. You know, you're not you're not going from like the, the stone worst offensive line to like the 10th or 5th best in the NFL, much less the first. But you can go if you t- you bring in a, a you pay a sh- for it, but you bring in Laramie Tunsil and it works out to the point that you now have a pretty solid line. That's great, but now your secondary is completely broken. You're so desperate that you're trading for players like Gary and Conley that the Raiders are so ready to get rid of. They want to trade him to the team that they're facing that upcoming week, which we saw last week. And I think hugely problematic situation in the secondary for the Houston Texans. So I am agreeing with you that like Chris Conley, DJ Chark is obviously we know to start him every week at this point, but these guys are in play. And I think that only is going to get worse without Watt on the defensive line. So that's a unit that I think we're attacking the rest of the way. And just your take on it real quick. Should the, should the damn Jaguars go back to Nick Foles or should they stick with Minshew? I would stick with Minshew. Correct answer. Now, let's round out here uh, with a couple of DFS plays. Scott, give me a couple bargains that you have. We, we already talked about this guy, so I don't really need to develop the story. Uh, Samuels uh, on a team wants to run the ball. It's just 12 bucks. Mark Walton has projectable floor. He's $15. So they'll be, uh, those guys will be, look, you, you have to pair them with like a McCaffrey with a stud running back. I mean, you don't, you know, the idea is you go cheap with one of your backs so you can play some of the more expensive guys so you don't play both of them together but i'll have samuels and walton sprinkled into my lineups and the guy i'm fading is chris carson just because look 
it's the wrong way to play defense, but Tampa Bay says, we're going to stop the run and you throw all over us. So they're going to try to take Carson out of the game. He'll He's too good to be a total flop. You play him in seasonal, but it's not the week to play Chris Carson at 22 bucks in Yahoo DFS. So I asked a question on Twitter this week and Seahawks Twitter, they answered. Some of the uh, some of the more homeristic ones answered in the incorrect way, but the the tortured ones got my drift. Uh, how excited are you, Scott, for the Seattle Seahawks to look across the field at the defense that gives up the fewest yards per carry in the league and gets shredded on the back end because they blitz too much and they have terrible corners and still decide to run the damn ball thirty plus times on Sunday? Yeah, Brian Schottenheimer, you you know. You try to ruin our lives. And and Tyler Lockett, I know he's at a mild uptick in targets. Why can't he get 130? Why do they have to be like, okay, our goal is to, is to have four to six perfect plays to Lockett every week. Why can't they just pepper that? Guy? I don't know. I still love, I mean, I love Lockett this week. He's in my DFS lineup. And also DK Metcalf is going to be sprinkled in a few as well. No player has been targeted more in the end zone this year than one DK Metcalf. But I'll give you a couple of my bargains, see what you think about them, Scott. One is Marvin Jones. I know that we have, we've got some mixed reviews on Marvin Jones, right? Like he's had a four touchdown game, but sandwiched, he, that was where, that was sandwiched between a two for 17 and a four for 22 game. But I think you chase the volatility this week at $18. Is he makes the game easily stackable because Stafford's cheap, Carr is cheap. Um, some of these Raiders, we know you can run it back with. So that I like. And Derrick Henry, too, at $19, I think is really interesting because we know that he is pretty much a non-factor in the pass game, which is problematic. But at the same time, I expect this game to be close between the Panthers. We talked about it. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans outright win in Tennessee against the Carolina Panthers. And we saw last week that the Carolina Panthers have a ton of problems up front in terms of stopping the run, right? Tevin Coleman goes completely wild on them. And right now, Carolina is number three in pass defense DVOA, but number 32 in rush defense DVOA. So they can be bit, and I think Henry could be a guy that he might give you top two or three running back because uh, because he continues to get the opportunity, top two or three running back value at just $19. I like him there. And then the guy I'm fading is Le'Veon Bell. I know I talked about the easy strength of schedule, but for $26, I can't trust this coaching staff to get it right with Le'Veon Bell. They they do the opposite of what makes sense, right? They feed him a ton of touches when Darnold is gone, and then when Darnold is back, they start to lighten his load, which just doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to just stay away from that situation if people want to chase it. I know it's the Dolphins. I know it's probably the wrong move, and he's going to get right, but I'm going to choose to fade it this week. Yeah, I like all those plays that Jones against that Oakland secondary can't get out of its own way. Henry, a very high floor for touches and at a depressed price. Anytime you're under 20 bucks, you're a value at running back. I mean, heck, I was promoting Mark Walton. He's only $4 cheaper than Henry. Maybe Henry is the right pivot for me. And it's not that Bell can't do it, but $26 isn't a giveaway price. I'd like yeah, to have right, see exactly. a prove-it game from Bell. Like, you play him in seasonal, but let's see the prove-it game before we DFS Levy on Bell. Yeah, right. If he, if he was lower than 26 I'd be interested. But looking at that price and just some of the rest of the players, yeah, that's going to be a no for me. But that is going to do it here for uh, the Week 9 preview edition of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back on Sunday night. Liz will be here. Scott. I got to say, like, you might want to stay on speed dial, though, because I don't know if you know this, but I'm jumping out of an airplane Friday morning, so I might be dead uh, by the time the next episode of this podcast is out. So now you're a survivor, man. I mean, I, I'm sure it's going to go r- hellishly wrong for you, but I mean, you're going to be fine. Oh, you're going to be. Uh, 
Well, that's encouraging. You're going to be all right. They'll fix you. They'll fix you well, up. You might have to sit out a year. You know, you may be like an Adrian Peterson where you don't play for a season or something, but you'll come. Well, back. I've always wanted to be compared to Adrian Peterson. I bet the Bears. I bet the Bears. Adrian Peterson. Oh, terrific! Um, you know what? The you know I will say I was on the call yesterday with Nate Boyer. Um, people probably remember Nate Boyer from the Kaepernick story and everything like that. But he's going to be the one going through the jump with us for for a fantasy football live segment. And he had to like he we were having a good conversation all that, and then he he mentioned that his best friend in the mil- in the Marines passed away because of this. And he's like, he jumped a thousand times. It was just the one time. I'm like, cool, man. Now I feel great. So that's where Strength we're Strength in numbers. The odds are on your side. I, you're Again, Matt Harvin is a survivor. Man. Never. You're going to be at Yahoo for a long time. I'm not worried about that. Never tell me the odds, Scott. Never tell me the odds. Hey, if you're in a full body cast, we can still just put a microphone right up to the, the little mouth hole. Let me tell you what. I could be in a full body cast, but I will never not have takes. That They will always be hot. They will always be ready. Yeah. This episode. Matt was, will never stop talking. Matt is never going to stop talking. Other things may not work in his body. He will continue to speak. <laughs> you damn right about that, Scott. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. You can find him on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow the show on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am, of course, doing all that talking on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. We're out. Good luck this week, you goofballs. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.